Father, this morning we delight ourselves in you because you are so good. And Lord, thank you that as we have exalted Jesus Christ in this place, the Bible tells us that he will draw all men unto himself. Thank you, Lord. Would you give a very warm North Point welcome to our very own Tim Chantier as he comes to bring God's word this morning. Amen. Praise God. I'm so excited to be able to share with you what God has done through us in Yembe these last nine years. It's going to be exciting. Um, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. That is the text for this morning. Matthew chapter 28, starting in 19. And as you turn there, I just want to give you a heads up on this message. This is going to be a mature message. Um, there's going to be some content in here that I will discuss regarding addiction and some events that took place in Yembe and child molestation. So those of you with smaller children and you are not ready to bring that topic to your children's ears this morning, I invite you, you can uh, make the decision you need to now, just so you give a heads up of what we're going to be talking about this morning. All right, so Matthew chapter 28. I was 18 years old, out in California, a young high school guy, and I was thinking, what do I, what does God want me to do with my life? And see, I saw this illustration. This is our life on this rope. This part represents our life, and this part represents eternity. And so I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do with this short amount of time I have? Because how we live here determines how the rest of eternity will go. And so this text that you have in front of you, right open at Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. I don't send the angels, I send humans. And as my wife and I were walking with the Lord in discipleship with other mentors, his desires, God's desires became ours. And God says, I want to reach these people. I want to make disciples. And so he said, all right, we'll go. That's what you want to do? Okay, God, here we go. And that's why we left and made that decision. And so when we got there, we took our three kids, as you see them there on the screen, Elijah, Judah, and Benjamin. They're so cute. I love that picture. We arrived into Papua New Guinea, and here's an island of Papua New Guinea on the right side. Those are black dots on that right side. This will be interactive. What do you think those black dot, dots represent? Tribes, that's true. Languages. Over 800 languages, guys each needing someone, a missionary, to go and tell them about Jesus and make disciples. So we picked one of those languages, and you see the red dot, I highlighted it in red up there, it's called Yembe Yembe, that's where we were. If you were to fly into Yembe today, this is what you would see from the air. There's the jungle, we cut down the trees, nine months, finally cleared an airstrip so you can land. And when you land there and you look across the river, this is what you're going to see, our village. We built our house right next to them. That was our neighborhood the last nine years. We had to embrace their culture when we got there. We had to leave American culture out the door and start to embrace their culture. You see, we had to learn their culture and their language. When I first went there and, and shook some of their hands, I said, Hi, I'm Tim. And they said, Did you guys understand what I just said? Neither did I. But we had those three years to learn their language and culture. You see, if I say Walmart, if I say Meyer, instantly that registers in your head, right? So we had to learn what registers in their head. They don't have a Walmart in Meyer. So what we did first, when we first got there, we had to get remarried Yembe style. There's my wife in her beautiful wedding dress. I paid $460 for my wife that day. 
She was worth it. Amen? (laughs) To her 17 dads and 33 moms, because she was adopted into this clan, 33 mother-in-laws, men. I love mine. We got into their culture. And so my wife, she started to go with the ladies. What do they do? They cook, and this is their stove. Here's your Maytag, ladies. You're Viking. You put wood in there, a couple branches over top, and you cook. This is their culture. Our boys went to their play place. They learned how to hold crocodiles. Different than the McDonald's play place. I had to become a man. Most 12-year-old boys have killed a pig by 12 years old, and that's your rite of passage to become a man. So I had to learn how they use a spear. This is a pig spear. And I had to learn how they go get a pig, and they set up this trap, as you see in the, uh, the picture there. And that's just leaves, guys. They're on that little fence of leaves. If you walk through the village, you'll see where the pig went through the leaves and ran after the guy and took out a part of his leg with his tusk. It's scary. This is how you become a man. So I have to become a man. My coworker had already gotten four pigs. He was really a man. It took me four years. But you, you wait there, and, and I, I wasn't getting a pig for a long time, and so they said, Tim, we understand because you don't, you don't hunt like we do. You're hunting like American culture. You have deodorant, a shirt, you have shoes. You're just loud and stinky. Watch me. I go naked. Sorry, I'm going to keep my American culture. Just that little part. So I had my shorts on. I, I did have the shirt off. No deodorant. I stunk. And there was no shoes, and I'm on these uh, thorns and needles on the ground. At 2 a.m. in the morning, that's when they go to the Meyer Meat Department. The only similarity is this is open 24 hours. So I'm waiting there, waiting there. I want to be a man. Finally, four years, I go the way they do it, and I get my pig, my meat at Meyer, Yemby style. I become a man. We embrace their culture so that we can communicate Christ in their culture. So we got their language, we got their culture. But their language is not in written form. No, no alphabet, guys. So we spent the next years learning, trying to develop an alphabet. We gave them a 19-letter alphabet, then taught them how to read their language. Then we started to translate God's word, because when we stood up, we did not want it to be man's word. We wanted to hold up God's word and say, it's God's word that is telling you this, not man. Finally, All that process complete. Four years from the time we got married, from the time we entered YMBNB, four years, guys, we can open our mouth about God. Because now they're going to finally get it in a way they understand. So we started in Genesis 1-1, and we took four months teaching them. Four months till we got to the gospel. Because we don't want them to just add Jesus and God to their existing belief system. That's called syncretism. They already had that. When we got in there, they had so much baggage with English terms. They had the English term of God, Jesus. Man, they had seen the Jesus video six times. They had over 20 short-term trips. Short-term missionaries would go in there. They'd teach through a translator. Raise your hand if you want to receive Jesus. All that. They even had a piece of paper that had their new name, English name. And they said, here's your name that's in the book of life. So many much baggage with Jesus that we couldn't even use that term. We asked them who Jesus was. They said he's the president of the United States. No, he's not. I saw them in a cave two weeks ago. We started from the beginning because we don't want them to just add it to their existing. We want replacement. And so we started with God that first week. The next week, now he's separated from man. Now we have the separation problem. Who's going to join man back to God? So we're asking in the beginning, as we were translating the terms, we said, what, do you, what term would you use for this guy that God's going to send? God's going to send someone and join us back to God. 
what would you call him? It was kind of like a bridge, because that's how you get to the other side, right? So they said, that was our term, the bridge man. And that's the word on these shirts. That's the word of life to them, the Messiah, Kinok Nimal, the bridge man. And so we kept saying, the bridge man is coming, month one. Month two, the bridge man is coming. Finally, we get to month four. The bridge man is Jesus. They got it. We had our first believers at 12.30 in the morning because that's when they like to meet. Thank you for coming at 10.45. We had 11 believers. Now we have believers. Okay, four and a half years. Now we're talking about the next four years. Now we have an infant church. Infant church. That passage that says, Go make disciples of all nations. If you continue, it says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's Jesus talking. That's why the next four years, we're going to teach you all that Jesus has commanded, not just the Ten Commandments and law, Jesus. And so in that first year, we had people that said, you know what, I think I should be baptized. We were teaching in Acts at the time. All right, we'll have some baptisms. So we had our first seven baptized, but the ceremony was not like we have here. See, there was a group of people that did not believe in Jesus. They were angry that they left the core group that always were sacrificing chickens to the spirits. So they came to our baptism, these angry people, angry that we're leaving, with these same spears. and said, don't you get baptized? Don't you go down there. We're done. I'm going to hurt you. Father to son, mother to daughter. Finally, they changed it to this. And, and a wife to her husband said, don't you get baptized? I'm going to kill you. And she threw it at her husband and missed. And the next three years, her husband and I would walk through together in this discipleship process. And during those three years, he'd come with a black eye. I'm like, what happened? Well, my wife got her brothers to beat me up again, trying to scare me back into the old way. He came up and hid in my office. What are you doing? They're trying to kill me. Okay, stay here. And through those three years and praying and walking through discipleship, she believed in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Not only that, that next year, she got baptized by her husband, the very guy she tried to kill. Amen. That's a picture of what the last four years looked like, the struggle, the persecution that we've done along the way. Till finally, after four years of discipleship, we have pastors and deacons that are looking after the church right now, shepherds. You see, God matured his church over these last nine years. Discipleship started from the day I shook their hand. That relationship started up until the nine years. Now we have men that are in discipleship mode. God matured his church, but he did not only mature the Yembe church. He matured Courtney and I through some difficult circumstances as well. So if you can welcome up my wife, Courtney. We're going to... Amen. Check. God matured us. There you go. Jesus, to hold me. If you're in Yembe, this is what you will hear on your door all the time. And if you're not careful, these knocks can become sin. Here's the problem. I'm a yes man. Any yes men in here? Some of the ladies are, oh, you're a yes man. I, I was one. See, your weakness here becomes your nightmare overseas in these places. And the knocks on the door, I need help, I need food, I need seeds. 
I need help in my garden. I need help with my son. I just got stabbed. I just stabbed someone. My wife won't deliver the placenta. We need an emergency. There's legit reasons they were coming. We were the end all. 2 a.m. in the morning. I'm like, okay, it's an emergency. Getting myself ready. I need to borrow your wrench. It's 2 a.m. in the morning. Yeah, so? Okay, here we go. You know, and I didn't have a healthy balance. I didn't discuss that. And so we are called to sacrifice. Go do this for God. But I sacrificed beyond what God had called me to sacrifice. So every meal, every time there was a knock, I'd run out. And they see their daddy leave. And I, I'm called to be the daddy and the husband. And I was not. And over years, it just didn't happen in one week. It doesn't happen that way. It's over time, slowly. It's a slow fade away as we were starting to argue and there were signs slowly coming up and after three years, we were just at the end. We had this argument and we just said to each other, we don't have love for each other. Have you ever said that? I mean, just tears. You don't love me? I don't have love for you? What? How do we get here? We might as well just call it quits. No hope. We're all alone. They're in our little tribal house. And at night our generator is on, so I went down and I just let the generator run because I... I was broken, and I wanted to cry, and I just sobbed there. I, I got on my knees. I'm on the dirt there, just crying. God, how do we get here? We're missionaries. You should bless me. We should have this awesome marriage right now. We're talking about quits. This is not worth the destruction of my family. So I know it isn't, but I want to teach you about love. I'm going to use this in your life. And so we got up, and we said, all right, we need help. So we started asking we had mentors that we were reaching out to at the time overseas, and then we came back to America, and we were reaching out and being transparent. Here's us. We're struggling. Help. We're messed up. And through that, over years, did you hear me? Over years. Three years, we could look back and finally say, wow, God, thank you. You've healed us. We have scars, but you've healed us. Thank you. And that's one of the ways that God had matured me and taught me about love and his receiving his love so that he's loving Courtney through me and the kids. And so I've asked Courtney to come up. She's going to share a little bit of what God taught her in Yembe. Um, one of the misconceptions of um, a missionary and a missionary woman is that she likes that kind of adventurous lifestyle and she's this wilderness woman and, you know, she just likes camping and stuff like that. And um, that is not the case for me at all. I, I don't like camping at all. And, you know, I have three boys, and I hate camping. And um, I hate bugs. I, I hate more than anything on this earth rats. I just hate, hate, hate them. Um, and, yes, I know they're God's creation, and I hate them. <laughs> it's horrible. And, you know, the Lord showed me, Courtney, these people are unreached because they live in a hard-to-reach place. And it's hard living there. And it just is the way it is. And, you know, we're going to walk together, and we're going to do this together, even though it's not easy. And um, that's just kind of one of the, I don't know, one of the things I need to get off my chest. I hate, <laughs> I hate those things. <laughs> um, another misconception is that missionaries don't struggle with their sin. And if they do struggle, they get over it really fast, and they just find this victory, and they live this victorious Christian life, and it's all just this bliss. And um, that was also not the case for me either. And, um, you know, uh, 
you, you go through hard times over there. I um, I had a miscarriage while we were over there, and it was it really rocked my world. It was just it was so hard and such a lonely time in my life. And these things where you felt like you should um, be able to grieve in private were things that were taken away from me. And I had to explain like my conditions over the radio to the doctor, and you know all the village knows, and they all want to come up and visit you and see everything that's going on. And it's like get away from me. I want to just I want this to be a private. Um, time for me, but it didn't happen that way, and um, I had to go out to one of the New Guinea hospitals, and um, it was just, I just kept thinking, you know, Lord, I should not be in this um, situation, I should not be in this environment, and um, instead of growing through that, a root of bitterness just began to grow in my heart, and um, I became so bitter um, at Tim and at God, and just at life in general, I was, I was just this hardened, um, hardened woman who didn't really want to forgive or show compassion or, or love to anybody. And um, it finally came to a head when we had had Benjamin and um, we're kind of in the throes of just um, the persecution of the unbelievers. And this man comes up and he starts threatening, starts threatening us and he's threatening Tim and says he's going to kill Tim he's going to kill me, and he starts um, pointing out our kids, and he's like, I'm, I'm even going to kill that little baby of yours. And I was so angry with the Lord for putting me in this scenario, and I remember every time I'd see this man, I would just um, be so fearful and scared, and I'd take Ben, and I'd hold him, and I'd go inside, and I'd just cry and cry and cry. And um, I just kept crying out to the Lord and just asking him, why why are you taking more from me? I've given you so much. I've left my family that I love so much. I've left my friends that I love so much. I've left, um, you know, my home. And you keep taking and taking and taking, and I don't want to give anymore. I just, I'm, I'm tired of giving to you, and you just keep taking from me. And I just don't believe that you're good anymore and that you have um, your... Um, your intentions for me are good. And um, I looked at the Yambis and I said, you know, Lord, these Yambi people, they're not worth it. They're not worth the sacrifice that you've called me to make. And, you know, our Lord, our Father, um, he's so good. And he was so kind and compassionate to me. And I remember him um, saying to me, Courtney, you're right. These Yambi people, they are not worth it but I'm calling you to make these sacrifices because I am worth it. And I am not only worth it, I am worthy of all the sacrifices that I ask you to make. And so we're going to do this together. Come, and um, we're going we're gonna to walk together through this. And um, at that moment, it began the healing process in my heart. And through a lot of repentance of my sin toward um, my husband, repentance for my bitterness and my disrespect toward him, our marriage began to heal. And um, I just, I thank the Lord for not for not giving up on me and for his compassion and grace and love um, toward this, yeah, messed up daughter of his. <laughs> um, wow. God has taught us. <clears throat> Another thing God brought me through uh, 
a heavy situation. I was in kindergarten and I was uh, sexually abused as a kid from kindergarten to third grade by a guy on our block. And I remember thinking, I'm spoiled goods. I'm worthless. And so as a kid at a young age, I just hid inside. I did believe in Jesus as a seven-year-old somewhere there. And up to that time, I was living separate lives. I was growing up in the church. I'd go to Awana, go to everything. And I wanted that life. But deep down, I knew I was, I felt like I was spoiled goods. I'm disgusting to God, and I'm disgusting. And if anybody found out about me in this church, they just look at me with disgust, and I'm going to get that scarlet letter. And Just that alone rejection. There's no way God can redeem me. I didn't tell anybody, and then seven years old, I started looking at pornography. So for 11 years, I was into pornography heavily. And through that, I started to wonder, am I a male or am I a female at 15? Am I a male or am I a female? And then at that point, I'm like, that's just disgusting over the top. And I, I tried to kill myself at 15. I can't live like this. And so 17, uh, 16 and 17, somewhere in there, this guy gave a message and said, hey, if you're thinking that you might be a homosexual, why don't you just, I want to hear your story first. Can you just come and talk to me? I said, okay. So I got excited and then, the lies started creeping in, like, all right, you're just going to share it to them, and then that's your suicide note. You can go commit suicide that night. As long as someone knew why I was so disgusting and why I had to take my life, because I'm so repulsive to everyone and to God, because once they find out, that's what I'll be. And as I shared with this man, for the first two hours, he just had this look of love on his face and just embraced me at the end and said, God loves you and he accepts you as his son. And I said, no, he doesn't. And I said, Here's, let me try and gross you out, as gross as you can be. Here's all the thoughts that I've been thinking. I'm just going to lay it all out there because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm done. I'm going to suicide in this life of mine. And I get through another hour, and I, he kept saying, no, he still loves you. He still accepts you. You're his son. And I, after I got through, it's like I had to get every little thing that was way back there to come out. And I just started bawling. Really? Are you kidding me? God would love me, this disgusting little spoiled, good, abused kid. Yeah. Through that, man, he, he walked with me. That's where the discipleship started for me from 16 on. All those years growing in Christ through the infant, baby, child stage. And now he said, yeah, God can use you too. That's why I was like so amazed. We can go and do things for him with this little time on earth. So we went overseas to Yembe and thinking, okay, that was my sin. I've dealt with it. I've learned my lesson. I'm done growing. I get there to Yembe and where you go through Timothy 3 and say this is what the life of a leader looks like. We said it's only by the Holy Spirit. Don't try and do it. Just let's ask the Holy Spirit to do it. And as we listed it out, everyone put their head down in shame and said, Tim, these 25 men and their women, all of us have been molested. It's the rite of passage, actually. Everyone's molested before age 10 here in almost any tribe in Papua New Guinea. It's just accepted. We're, we're too disgusting. We, we can't do that. You have to stay here and be our pastor forever because we can't become those leaders. And at that point, I, rem- I knew. I could look at them with the love and the compassion that was given to me. So he can use you, and he will. Look what happened to me. You're not spoiled goods. Holy Spirit can do the transformation. You're a prime candidate where you're at at brokenness.
man, that is how God matured all of us, the envy people and us. That's why we share this story with you. So you see, we're two messed up people in Christ who God used to go to a bunch of messed up people and put them in Christ and spiritually transform all of us through the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So as you watch this video, I hope you're overwhelmed with the God of the universe that transforms lives. The God, all-powerful, who reached the envy people. When we handed God's word to them, the first thing they did is they opened it up and read it. And that's a picture of them reading it. Our disciples reading God's word for the first time. They were so excited. And these guys in the picture are our second generation disciples. See, I, I had, you saw them in the video. Some of our pastors from America came over to hand off God's word as passing the baton to the elder, saying it's in your hands now. Use it. So I was walking along the trail with one of the elders that came from the States. We're walking along the trail, and one of our Yembi Yembi elders walks up. And he says, Oh, Josh. He put his hand on Josh. He was the man that was there. Oh, buddy. And I pray that I will continue the legacy that you have started. The rope that you started to weave there with Tim in the United States. You see, Tim was in your hand as your disciple. Tim was in your hand, just like I am in, was in his hand for all these years. And now I have these guys in my hand. And I pray, I pray I continue this legacy of discipleship that that rope won't get cut. That the six guys I have will continue this process that you've started. This process of discipleship. And that's what it's about. To give you a picture of what it was like. It was like we were holding infants that first year. You know, have you ever hold an infant and, oh, you're so cute, what a man. That wasn't what it was like our first year. We said, we don't want you to do anything. We just want you to be an infant in Christ. And listen to the words of the Lord. Not just on the Sunday teaching, no, during the week. I'm saying discipleship is meeting with them day after day. I had uh, a list of guys that I would only reach out to, made sure I get with them once every two weeks. My coworkers, Courtney and the other ladies, each had lists. So that during the week, we're meeting with them. And we're not overlapping. And so when I say you're the infant, it's just like we're reminding them of these truths. You have the Holy Spirit. You're God's son. You're God's daughter. You're so beautiful. You're precious. Look at you. And the next week, you're the, you have the Holy Spirit. I know you don't fully understand it now that you have the Holy Spirit, but I just want you to listen. Let the thoughts, the words of the Lord just sink in on Monday and Wednesday and Friday as we meet. I know you hear it on Sunday. Let's just remind each other about what you have. You're an infant. And then after the second year, uh, during the first year, we took him through Acts. And the second year, we're in Acts. And so the second year, it's like we have our little four-year-old Ben, a little toddler. We're saying, let's watch in Acts to see what it was like for men to follow the Holy Spirit. Let's see what it's like to watch men as the Holy Spirit moves in them. I don't want you to do anything. I just want you to watch and listen. 
And as we went through Acts, we went through Romans, and they're like, wow, Romans, that's such a deep book. Yeah, but it's a simple book, a simple truth of who you are in Christ. You're in Christ, you're in Christ. I know you don't fully get it now, but in a year, hopefully you'll get it. I don't want to, we're not talking about changing your behavior, making you look like a Christian before the Holy Spirit really makes that change in your life. So that second year, you're a baby. Now, I want you to watch me, and I'm going to explain to you. That right there, when I did that, that was the Holy Spirit. I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. That's what that means. You're saying that to babies, to infants, to children. They need to watch it before they do it. They should see it in your life before you throw them to some service or some mission trip or some life group leader. They've got to watch you first. But not just sit there in the group and watch. No, you're explaining to them, this is what I'm doing. So we had to identify, okay, you're a child. We're in Romans and Ephesians. And during that time of Ephesians, we're talking about loving your wife. Finally, we're getting to the child part. They, all right, this is how I love Courtney. We did drama after drama. This is what it looks like. And one of our guys came up and he knocked on the door. He said, Tim, I want another wife. My wife is Satan. You don't know my wife. I want you to show me in God's word where it gives me the okay to get another one so I can become an elder. I want to get one of those Christian widows. Like, okay, well, no, I I don't see it. He's like, are you sure? Yeah. Well, you haven't translated every book yet. Maybe it's in another book you haven't got to yet. No, no. Say, give me that. Oh, man. Walks down. Remember, he's a baby in Christ, our second year, a child. And see, I just didn't give him the truth and say, take the truth. No, we met week after week, year after year. So the second year, he comes back to me and he says, Tim, has a somber look on his face. He says, I realize I'm Satan. My family is reflecting their leader. Instead of being Jesus, I'm Satan to my family. Pray for me that I would learn to recognize the Holy Spirit in my life, in my heart. I'll pray for you. And then he asked me, what's it like for you? Do you ever struggle? I do. And this is what it looks like for me to follow the Holy Spirit in my relationship. Follow me as I follow Christ. That second year, third year, fourth year, he is still trying to be that godly Jesus in his home. And the reason I share this story, it's still unfinished. He has not become an ordained elder yet. I actually handed him off to one of our pastors. Now he's in his sixth year, and he's still growing. He's in that discipleship model. I would say he's mature, because as a child, the child asks you questions. You have an eight-year-old, a ten-year-old? He's always asking me questions. Why do you do that, Daddy? This is why I do it. I'm not going to take my ten-year-old here, go lead a life group. But we do do that so often, don't we? Babies are leading babies. Spiritually mature should be leading the babies through to maturity. So you have to identify where you're at. And so finally, uh, you know, with some of our elders, yes, we were able to look at them in the eye and say, all right, you try and teach, and I'll watch. And they're asking, Tim, is this what it looks like to follow the Holy Spirit? Yeah. He's like, I, I was talking to my wife, and I got really angry, but then I, I just was thinking, okay, Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? And then I said a loving thing to her. Is that the Holy Spirit? Yeah. And he's like, woohoo, we're high-fiving. Four years, guys. Spiritually mature. Talking to the spiritually mature. We're growing together. 
See, it's so important to identify where you're at. If you've only been a believer for that one year, you're still an infant in Christ. You shouldn't be serving, doing anything. We think, oh, if they have truth now, they need to be serving. No, let them be an infant. Shh. Meet with them. Don't tell them to serve. Go meet with them every other week and just tell them who they are in Christ. Let infants be infants. Let babies be babies and children be children. Identify where are you at on God's definition of spiritual maturity. Where are you at today? Some of you, you might come away and say, yeah, I need to go make disciples. Maybe go and ask your spiritual mentor first. That's what I did. I asked, do you think I'm ready to lead three other men? No, not yet. Okay. Ask your spiritual mentor, do you think I'm ready to take on a leadership role and lead these guys? Well, I don't have one. Well, there's your answer. You see, we're talking about heaven and this side. When you get here and you're sitting on daddy's lap, he's going to be looking at you and say, you kind of missed the boat. I love you. You're here, but you're going to be like, yeah, I missed it. It was all about my relationship with you and relationship with others. It's relationships, relationships, relationships. Not what you did. Yeah, we got the translation, but you grew in your relationship with me. You knew me so much more deeply. You received my love and gave it. That's what it was about. You see, we're so busy, 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 program, 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 program. Weekend service, weekend service. And we miss the boat. We get to heaven. It's going to be so clear what it was all about, the relationships. It was your Monday with your disciple. It was your Tuesday with that girl you're mentoring. That's that Wednesday. Where are you at? So we don't waste this time. That's why we're talking about heaven. As if you're standing in heaven and looking back, what really matters? What's really important? That's why we share this story. That's what was really important. Yeah, the translation was there, but what's more important is I'm here today with my wife, with the love of Christ. That's what's important. That my boys don't hate Yembi anymore like they started to. That's what's important. Our relationships have grown. But it only came through transparency. And some of you, you feel so alone. You're like, I can't share. I can't share what you shared. Yes, you can. We just did it. And we shared it to say, there's so much joy to be had. I know I'm kind of spazzing out here, but bear with me. It really is. There's so much joy. You're not alone. Don't you love that? Because some of you came today and you feel so alone. And you think you're so messed up. I hope you saw I'm more messed up than you. But I have so much more joy as God has taught me through that trial. You see, we get through the trial. We're like, whew, I just made it through the trial. Got through it. But you didn't learn what God wanted you to learn. Trials do one of two things. They either make you more bitter or you learn what God wanted you to learn. One of two things. What do children do? That's unfair. That's mine. That's not fair. That's what babies do. Some of you have been attending church for 30 years and you're the most bitter person. You're still a baby in Christ. Those trials were meant to shape you into the image of Christ. To experience a new joy like you've never experienced in your life. That's why I share this with you. Enjoy! Hope you get the joy. Not the spaz. You see, there's this last part of this verse, the text we're in today. It says, Jesus says, I, be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You're not alone. So as the band comes up, some of you, it might not be time to sing right now. It might be time to come to Daddy and say, Help! What do kids do when they need help? What do your little one do? Daddy, help me! 
wipe my butt. I'm not saying that's what you're asking for. But I'm saying when he needs help, I hear his, you know, help me, I can't get my homework done. So right now, identify where are you at on your spiritual journey with Christ? Because depending on where you're at depends how you respond today and what next step of faith God wants you to do. Maybe it's just cry out, Daddy, help me, bring me someone. Because I don't want you to walk away and think you have to go do more stuff. Maybe it's just be and ask Daddy, send me someone to connect with. Or maybe some of you, you, you've been through the struggles and the pain. You see, when I was in Yembe, I was ready to hand the Bible to the people that morning, as you saw on the video. And I got on my knees up by my house, and the God brought these ideas to my head. He showed me where I had neglected my kids. It's like all these images of where I had screwed up as a dad and as a husband. And, and then I just looked at the Bible in front of me. It, was just, it became sin to me. And I was like, God, I can't give sin to the MB people. This is stained with my sin. And I just started bawling. I can't do this. And I just, this thought came to me, the God saying, Tim, look, my grace covers your sin. And you see, those are scars. They're not open wounds anymore. See, what, when you have a scar, what is that a sign of? Something's been healed. It was through those that you have scars, but it's a sign of healing, a sign of my grace and my love and what I taught you. You learn through that. Let's stand up and let's, let's give the New Testament to the MB people, Tim, and let's keep walking together through the trials so that some of them become scars. But along the way, through the struggle, we can say with joy that you are not alone, Tim. As I looked on in Yemi, it's like I was on this battleground. I could see the, the banana trees and the jungle, and it just looked like this battleground in front of me. And God says, look how far we've come together. You are not alone. Let's keep walking together. So right now, as we pause, as music plays, wherever you're at, and whatever step you need to take, let's communicate with Daddy this morning. Amen.